Did you know Rob Farrell's Leading Saints podcast interview has over 100,000 downloads? Yeah, it seemed everyone loved it. After that interview, we actually invited Rob Farrell to a Leading Saints live event and told him he could take as much time as he wanted. Well, he ended up teaching for four plus hours and don't worry, we recorded it. It's all part of the Leading Saints Core Leader Library and we want you to watch it at no cost. Simply go to leadingsaints.org 14 and you can gain access to not only Rob Farrell's four hour presentation, but also to 100 plus hours of all other leadership related content that we have in the Core Leader Library. You're gonna love it. So simply visit leadingsaints.org 14 and get started. So my name is Kurt Frankum, and I am the founder and executive director of Leading Saints and obviously the host of the Leading Saints podcast. Now, I started Leading Saints back in 2010. It was just a hobby blog, and it grew from there. By the time uh, 2014 came around, we started the podcast, and that's really when it got some uh, traction and took off. Uh, 2016, we became a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and we've been growing ever since. And now I get the opportunity of an of interviewing and talking with remarkable people all over the world. Now, this is a segment we do on the Leading Saints podcast called How I Lead. And we reach out to everyday leaders. They're not experts, gurus, authors, PhDs. They're just everyday leaders who've been asked to serve in a specific leadership calling. And we simply ask them, how is it that you lead? And they go through some remarkable principles that should be in a book, that should be behind a PhD. They're, uh, they're usually that good. And uh, we just talk about uh, sharing what the other guy's doing. And I remember being a leader, just simply wanting to know, okay, I know what I'm trying to do, but what's the other guy doing? What's working for him? And so that's why every Wednesday or so, we publish these How I Lead segments to share. Eli Nelson, welcome to the Leading Saints podcast. Thanks for having me. Now, I mean, Nelson is a very Latter-day Saint name, but any relation to the prophet, seer, and revelator? Uh, I think we're ninth cousins. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm probably ninth cousins with the guy. So, <laughs> so no, but, no, uh, no real relation. Nice. So where are you originally from? Originally, I'm from the Seattle, Washington area, like um, Sammamish, Issaquah, if you're familiar. Okay. And, and uh, you currently go to BYU? Yeah, I currently go to BYU, so I live in Provo. Um, I've been down here for about two years since I've been back from my mission. Cool. Where'd you go on your mission? I served in the Caribbean, so it's called the Trinidad Port of Spain mission. Wow. Yeah. Trinidad. I, I knew a guy from Trinidad once, so oh, that's, really? yeah, that's a far off place, but I mean, the church is pretty pretty established there, isn't it? Or how would you describe it? <laughs> no, I, I kind of describe it as like the, like Kirtland Nauvoo phase of the church. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but it's, it's a unique mission. We had six different countries within our boundaries. And then mm -hmm. at full capacity, we have about 95 missionaries. And so, wow. and then those missionaries speak four different languages. Nice. And so very wow. unique. We're working on getting two of those countries have excuse me, one of those countries has a stake right now. And so that's kind of the big push everywhere else is to get a stake established. 
Oh, that's awesome. And it's like uh, Trinidad is like really close to uh, South America continent, right? Yeah, super close. Is it part, but it's not part of the South America. No. Right? So, but like geographically in like the northeastern part of South America, there's Guyana and Suriname, uh-huh. which look like like on a map, they're part of South America. But like politically and economically, they're considered part of the Caribbean. Wow. And so, yeah. So like right on the border of Venezuela. Um, and so I spent some time there. So just a weird part of the world. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. And then, so what, uh, what language did you learn on your mission? Um, so I was assigned to speak Spanish and then all the Spanish speakers in the mission learn a second language called Papimento. Hmm. Um, and so they speak that And have you heard of the ABC islands before like Aruba? Uh, no, I guess not. I mean, I've heard of Aruba, but so, yeah. yeah, it's like Aruba and then her two sister islands. That's the native language that they speak. And so just because of where I served, I ended up speaking Papimento more than Spanish. Like I took the Spanish challenge exam at BYU and I did not do well. Oh, really? <laughs> um, yeah. And so it's just kind of weird the way that works out, but yeah, yeah I, was, I was kind of like a dual language missionary. And then what are you studying at BYU? I'm pre-business. And so I'm getting ready to apply to the there's a, you can apply to like three different programs at a time, but I'd like uh-huh. to do the business strategy program at BYU. Awesome. So what are you going to be when you grow up? I don't know. <laughs> TBD. <laughs> yeah, well, that's cool. I think a business uh, degree is uh, a, good, a good path when you're not quite sure. You can always, yeah, you'll always use that. So yep. no matter, no matter what you do. So, and you are currently serving as the, your, uh, the, the elder scorn president of your young single adult ward. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's right. Cool. And how long have you been in that calling? Oh, um, I've been in that calling for, I think, three months now. Okay. Which for a while, is, the ward is pretty <laughs> Yeah, you're pretty long. We've, so there's two different quorums in my ward, and we have been through five Elders Quorum presidents this year. Wow. So, awesome. Awesome. And um, what, is there a story behind when you were called as the Elders Quorum president? Um, actually, yeah, a little bit. So I started off moved in to this ward in September. Um, the others quorum, they have the quorums separated based on like what apartment you're in. And so my others quorum president called me and my roommate, who's like a really close high school best friend to be his counselors. And then he moved out of the ward like three weeks later. And so me and my roommate kind of like kept the ship up and running <laughs> while he was gone, but we were just the counselors. And then, um, I had kind of received it. This has never really happened to me before, but I had received an impression about getting called as the next others quorum president, probably like very soon after he moved out of the ward. Um, but then that call wasn't extended for like two weeks after that. And then we went on winter break. <laughs> and so in terms of me getting sustained and set apart in the sacrament meeting, that didn't happen until um, like a month after I was called because we wow. had to come back for the new semester. And so I had like a whole month to basically prepare and organize and receive revelation, which was actually a huge blessing. Was there anything specific you did during that preparation time to just sort of soak in it all and, and aim for revelation? Yeah, no, I did quite a bit. So the first thing I really focused on was my counselors. Um, like I said, I actually live with my three high school best friends. Um, and so I ended up calling two of them to be my counselors. Um, there's also kind of a funny story with that. I, I thought I had the order of my counselors right when I went to call them and when I submitted their names to the state presidency. 
And then when they got sustained in sacrament meeting, the high counselor that sustained them, who's also why I say that's a change that they've made. Now counselors and bishoprics and high counselors are part of the stake, like YSA members. He somewhere like through the chain from when I submitted the names to the state presidency to when they were sustained in sacrament meeting, the names had gotten flipped oh, nice. <laughs> my counselors. And so I'm like sitting there and I didn't know what to do, but the spirit like so clearly told me that that was the correct order that they were supposed to be called in. And so that was just kind of a funny thing. Like I had put a lot of nice. time into receiving revelation on that and I cared deeply about receiving accurate revelation and then I still got it wrong, but God kind of took care of the rest. So nice. Um, yeah. Those, those things happen, right? That uh, it all, all just shakes out in the end. So. Exactly. Cool. And then I think the other, I focused a lot on organization things in our quorum during that month. Mm-hmm. Um, calling a good secretary was a thing that I cared a lot about. And then just setting up the right systems. I basically, we have a Google drive um, folder that we use as presidency. And so I went through and got the whole folder <laughs> set up during my winter break. So it actually worked out really well. Oh, cool. Nice. And then, uh, I mean, is there anything unique about your, your ward or the demographics? When I mean, I think generally, I don't want to assume too much, but most people know what a, you know, YSA BYU ward looks like or the dynamics of it. And, but anything else you would add to sort of paint that picture? No, not really. It's pretty, pretty standard. Nice. Do you meet on campus? We, yeah, we meet on campus. Um, and then it's just based off of where you live now. Mm -hmm. And so we have BYU, some UVU, and then some people who aren't in school at all. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, we still just meet on campus. What Uh, building do you meet in? We meet in the Talmadge building. Oh, nice. Like the math math building. Cool. All right. And so, um, we'll, we'll jump into just some things you've learned and experienced here. You sent me a good list. This will be like a, 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 (laughs) Like just a quick round here. We'll hit some of these fast or some of them long, whatever, whatever it takes. So the first one is, uh, you, as far as the principles that help you in leadership is, is loving the handbook. How do you go about doing that? <laughs> yeah, I love the handbook. It's, and it's like almost a taboo thing. I think when you're just like, so focused on the handbook, but the cool thing about the change that the church made with the handbook is that it's constantly changing. Yeah. And like when you take time to go through it, like I never tell people anymore that I know what the handbook says because it's always changing. It might've changed since the last time I looked at whatever section we're talking about. And so I just really cared about us kind of being like cutting edge, if that's the right term in our elders quorum, because I wanted us to be up to date with everything that prophets, seers and revelators want us to do mm-hmm. in the way that we function. And that's, you know, there are sometimes challenges related to that. I think, especially in YSA stake, because you're dealing with a lot of leaders who aren't really familiar with the handbook at all. Like have never looked at it before. And in general, sometimes it's hard to get college kids to be super um, engaged in their calling. And then at the same time, like at least in our ward, sometimes people get really set in old ways of doing things without taking time to like fully understand what the handbook is teaching now. And so, yeah, that's been fun to navigate as I find the balance between loving the handbook and promoting the handbook while also not being like a handbook Nazi <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. trying to just like shove the handbook down people's throats. Um, yeah. but we, we've seen a big impact in our quorum as we focus on 
the most recent updated information that we get from the first presidency in the quarter 12. Yeah. And and I like that how you frame that, that sometimes it can be sort of cut and dry, you know, it's not very innovative. Yeah. Some may frame it, but also it, it helps you recognize a lot of tradition. I think there's a lot of things we think, oh, that's definitely in the handbook. I think that's the way we're supposed to do it because that's the way it's always been done. So it must be in the handbook. And then when you look at the handbook, it, oftentimes it's not there and there's a lot of space to to innovate and to adjust as you want. So it really can be a tool both ways. Yep, Absolutely. Awesome. All right. Next one is finding the balance between magnifying your calling while also being a good peer. Expound yeah. on that. I mean, that's something that I think applies probably to every ward in the church, but it's something that I deal with a lot in a YSA ward because, um, for example, my elders quorum, I want my core members to know that I take my calling seriously and that you know I understand that I'm a key holder and I try to magnify those responsibilities. But at the same time, if I'm too far on that side of the spectrum, I'll come off as like holier than thou or ingenuine or insincere. And at that point, it's like I'm doing more harm than good. On the other side of the spectrum, I have being a good peer and being really relatable. But if I become too casual or lax, I lose some of the power that comes with the, you know, like the defined leadership side. Um, and so finding the right balance between like, hey, I, I'm called. I'm here to lead and I take that responsibility serious, but at the same time, I'm just like you. And there's really no difference between me and everyone else has been really vital for us and actually having an impact on our quorum and on the ward as an elders quorum presidency. Yeah. Is there, is this an example coming to mind as far as how, when you've been caught in, in between those two roles? Yeah, a little bit. I was this last Sunday, um, we had to teach as a presidency, both of our teachers were out of town. Um, and one of my counselors, when he was teaching, and we're up there like, we look, I think we definitely try to look professional and we're conducting the meeting the way that you conduct any elders quorum meeting. There's really not anything different about that. But like the language he was using was really casual. It was like slang, because that's mm -hmm. what they understand. Like that's what they'll relate to. <laughs> and we had been talking about how, some story about how elder and sister Bednar had had a disagreement with each other. And my counselor goes, I just can't imagine Elder and Sister Bednar beefing. <laughs> He's like, that's so crazy <laughs> to me. And like the whole room laughed. And so that was just a good, like we were teaching really spiritual principle. It was clear that we, you know, took that responsibility seriously. But at the same time, he was able to kind of merge that gap yeah. between being a leader and a peer. Yeah, I think that just that concept of, and again, there's not like a, a right or wrong way to go about it, um, but to, to sit with it, especially as a presidency or as a quorum mm -hmm. and just say, you know, how do we make sure we don't come across as holier thou or, yeah. you know, you know, Eli would never struggle with this or that because he's the elders quorum yeah. president when in reality, that's, that's not the case, right? Um, I remember one example that comes to mind is when I was called in a state presidency and on like day one, the state president in our first presidency meeting said, I want all of you to call me Todd. I mean, he's like, I, I realize it's important. And it's, that's his given name is Todd. He wasn't just like thinking of a name, but, <laughs> um, and, and obviously there's a time and place, you know, and maybe a formal meeting where we should have referred to him as president whatnot, but just, it was a, it really made for a better brotherhood and a connection of that. We didn't have to treat him differently or call him by the title and uh, the rest of us by first names. And, and so just humanizing yourself that way. And Absolutely. it makes them, like you said, more endearing and easier to connect with. Yeah, no, that's, that's a really good example. I never, ever call somebody brother or sister last name, uh, especially mm -hmm. in the YSA word. It's just so, 
Yeah. It's just weird. Yeah. I think, I don't know, maybe that'll go away in the next 10, 15 years. Oh, but, no, certainly uh, it might, but at least for yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. I can see that, especially in a YSA word that, you know, your, your peers and, um, you know, most everybody's within the same age range, definitely the same demographic. And so, you know, let's uh, act like it. Right. So, all right. Uh, next one is fostering active leadership in the quorum and ward. How do you do that? Yeah, that's another big one. And it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier, like, um, sometimes you just work with core members and this is true anywhere in the church, but you just work with members or leaders who aren't super engaged. Um, I think every Bishop or state president can relate to the struggles of having members who will magnify their callings. Um, and that's certainly something that we've seen in our quorum and ward and stake. Um, and so one thing that we do is just show them that we're active and that we care. Um, whether that means sending out texts or reminders during the week, <clears throat> I try to make, um, I, I don't believe in unnecessary meetings, but I think meetings can be effective. And so we typically meet as presidency twice a month. And I, at least the presidency that I was in before, we met like maybe once a year. <laughs> and so it's just things like that so that the quorum can feel that we as presidency are actively engaged in the work. We're here to help them on a daily, weekly basis. We think about them, we pray for them daily, and then kind of spreading that energy throughout so that when a core member gets an assignment or when they have a comment they want to share, it's just super active, involved, front of mind. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, next uh, is about the oxygen mask analogy. Break that down for us. Yeah. No, I love the oxygen mask analogy. Um, it really just goes back to the principle. And again, this is a lot like not coming off as holier than thou, but if you don't put your own oxygen mask on first, if you don't take care of yourself as a leader, it's really, really hard to help the people around you. Um, I think it's also insightful because the people that you lead, regardless of what capacity you're in, are going to watch what you do. And that in some way, shape or form is going to change the way that they think and act. Um, when I was on my mission, at one point I had the opportunity to serve as a zone leader. And I remember I was sitting down in an interview with my mission president. Um, and he said, hey, this was, so I, I was a COVID missionary. Um, I had been reassigned to California. And so at this point I'd been on my mission for about a year. And so it was one of my first interviews with this mission president. And he just kind of looked at me and he said, well, sometimes you might just want to be Eli, which like really any missionary, who's ever served and has been called by their first name, like it takes you back. Yeah. And he said, but you have to remember that your elder Nelson, the zone leader and your missionaries are going to watch what you do. And I think up to that point, I'd never considered that as a leader, people will watch the way that you act. And so if you don't take care of yourself spiritually, mentally, physically, emotionally, it's, it's really, really hard to feel like you're doing your absolute best as a leader. Um, yeah. my home state president is his name is Jared Spataro someone that I really look up to. Um, he, my dad is one of his counselors. And so I've been able to spend quite a bit of time with him over the last few years. And he's really big on um, every single day when he wakes up, the very first thing that he does is 30 minutes of worship or scripture study. Mm -hmm. um, and he just talks, like I, I talked to him a few weeks ago and he said, if there was one thing that I could get every single member of our state to do, it's 30 minutes of worship first thing when they wake up in the morning. Hmm. Right. And he just talked about the power of that principle, doing it first thing and making sure that you carve that time out for the Lord and the blessings that come from it. But it, certainly following that counsel has been valuable to me as an elders quorum president, because it's 
life is busy. It's hard to find time to sit down when it's peaceful and quiet and you can try to ponder and receive revelation or you can let the Lord teach you new things for the scriptures. And so um, kind of all those insights have been really valuable to me going back to the oxygen mask analogy. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it can be in such a dangerous place. And I imagine even, especially as a student, right? I mean, yeah. not only do you have your calling, but you have probably a heavy, you know, class load and you're studying and you, you know, you want to make sure you hit your marks there. And so you can get overwhelmed and, and then by Sunday, you're so drained and you have these other responsibilities that you sort of have to fake it, right? That, yeah. Oh, everything's going great. I'm happy. And inside you're maybe just weeping. Um, yeah. And so really, and I think people can notice that difference, right? That um, those that have really taken um, time to to feed their soul, to to be at peace and, and connect with God. Mm-hmm. Um, I often call that um, in order to, I don't know the best way to frame this, but in order to serve others, you have to have it to give, right? Yeah. And if you don't have it, it to give by taking care of yourself, it's going to come across very insincere or forced or emptied, right? Like, mm-hmm. man, this Eli guy just seems like, plastic like he just smiles and i can't connect with him right but if it's in those moments where you're like suddenly you can share this moment of like i was i was studying the other day and this scripture came to me that you know let me share that with you for a minute right and then it's a whole different dynamic rather than well if i just shake your hand and smile is that good enough because i'm exhausted (laughs) yeah no it's two different things i I think time management is a big part of that too Mm -hmm. Uh, going back to my home segment president he's like a freak of time management (laughs) Um, he's like a vice president at Microsoft. So he's like, I'll tell you, he's literally a freak when it comes to managing his time. But because of that, he's able to get so much done. And so even though I'm a student with significantly less responsibilities than he has, um, I've tried to kind of follow that same principle of just manage my time, prioritize and put first things first. And Mm -hmm. I basically always am able to find time to do the things that are most important. And, And then I don't find myself in that Sunday situation where I'm slowly dying on the inside, <laughs> trying to put a smile on my face. Yeah. Um, or we're able to mitigate that a little bit. Any other like time management hacks that you, you live by? Um, time boxing is a big one. Uh-huh. And I'm not perfect at it, but just... How does it work? It's pretty simple. So really, um, I just kind of look at, you know, the most important areas of my life. A lot of people will pick five. Um, you have like sleep or health, school, work, church, family, stuff like that. Um, and then you kind of set a goal in each area for what you want to accomplish, how much time you're willing to give to each of those areas. And then you box out your days and weeks to line up with those goals. Um, nice. It's hard. Anybody who served a mission, I think can relate to it. It goes Uh back to the principle of not wasting time. There's certainly a balance to be found. It's really easy to overwork yourself, um, when you time box, but in terms of being able to do more than the natural man or woman is capable of on your own. That's been super valuable to me. Awesome. All right. Next one is there's no substitute for an outstanding secretary. How do you, how do you recruit the right secretary? Yeah. Um, you, you pray that you have the right person in your former <laughs> class, I guess. Um, that was revelation that also came very fast. As soon as I got called, I had a great interview with the state president when I was called and he said, you need really good counselors and there's no substitute for an amazing secretary. And, um, so the person that I called in my quorum, his name's John. Amazing. Um, he's just really, socially, he's maybe a little bit quieter, 
but he's really, really organized and he really loves the Lord. And so in terms of like going the extra mile to put in work, to fill in ministering assignments on LCR or to look at, you know, any spreadsheet that I ask him to do, he's on it and he's happy to do it. And then at the same time, he has the right technological spreadsheet, Excel skills to do things that I can't do and to do a uh -huh. lot better than I would. And so he's really kind of the glue that keeps us together as a presidency. And even just, I mean, the handbook specifically outlines what a quorum secretary should do. And so even things like- hey, Do you love the handbook, Eli? Yeah, I love the handbook. <laughs> I can't say it now. And so I was like, John, I sat down with him and I was so excited. And I was like, this is what you're going to do. And this is what the handbook says. And he was like, that's great. I, I think I can do that. Yeah. And so, um, but even like having him take notes in a presidency meeting, it's just one less thing that we don't have to worry about. And then having the power to go back and look at what we discussed. And I was like, oh yeah, like Hudson, he said that and it was so valuable. And then I can go back and remember what he actually said. Um, it's been, it's been a huge blessing. Yeah. You know, never underestimate the power of having the spreadsheet guy in your, yeah. in your presidency, you know, like there's, they're, they're all, awards got a handful of them and they know oh. every equation or whatever and in, in, you know, Excel or whatever it be. And they can, it's amazing what they can build and, and, mm. uh, can really help, you know, administration go smooth. So that's no, true. All right. Delegation is critical. Sort of, uh, playing off of what you just said, right? Yeah, no, it's similar. Um, I think a lot of elders quorum presidents, in my experience, in a YSA award, are prone to kind of just doing everything themselves. It's also true because, um, at least in a stake like mine, where a good chunk of the high counselors are young, single adults, the training doesn't always make it, you know, down the food chain the way that the state presidency would like it to. And so we as an elders quorum presidency didn't really get any training. Again, I love the handbook. Thank goodness for the handbook. Um, and so it was really important to us that we'd be able to manage all the responsibilities that we have as an elders quorum presidency. And I very quickly realized that to do that, I couldn't just shoulder all the responsibility on my own. And so um, it, it just goes down to what the handbook says. But in terms of like um, delegating a counselor to oversee missionary work in the ward and another one to oversee temple and family history work. Um, ministry interviews are something that I care a lot about, but because of how we're kind of on a time crunch as a presidency, because um, there's going to be a bunch of overturn in May when the semester ends. Uh, I'm getting married in the beginning of May. And so I know that awesome. my, we didn't, we didn't delve into that part of your life. Yeah, no, Good. Um, <laughs> it's great. I highly recommend it. <laughs> But in terms of my time as an elders quorum president, it's very small. And our quorum is going to change a lot um, in over the summer. And so I knew that in terms of me doing ministry interviews, um, that probably wasn't going to happen because I'm also supposed to hold a PPI with each quorum member. Hmm. And so missionary work, temple family history work, ministry interviews, that all goes to my, or my counselors. And mm -hmm. they're totally capable. They're super amazing. And then it also gives them really good leadership development opportunities because they're a lot more active than they would be if I was trying to shoulder everything on my own. Yeah. Um, and so it just kind of, you're able to accomplish a lot more. Many hands make light work. Um, but at the same time, we're actually able to shoulder all the responsibilities that we would like to when we work together. Awesome. Yeah. And, uh, that, you know, especially in a YSA ward 
you know, that's connected with, you know, the semester, uh, uh, transition and, and yeah. um, turnaround there is that you, you go through a lot of leaders sometimes, right? And and very likely your counselors could be next up to take over your role and to have them be developed and ready to go. And then it keeps that momentum going in that leadership space rather than re, you know starting over every time. Yeah. And uh, really that's another reason I'm like so big on the handbook. Um, our state presidency the same thing. They love the handbook. Um, the last time we met for state conference in the leadership session, our state president got up and he said, um, my goal for each of you as leaders and members of the stake is that from here on out, you can be plug and play in any unit in the church. And that requires that, you know, the handbook really, really well. And so I have that same mentality with everyone in my quorum. I hope that all core members read the handbook, even when it comes down to like, the the sacrament meeting coordinator <laughs> that uh -huh. we call in the elders quorum like i hope that people just get in the habit of referencing the handbook because then the power that they bring into wards and stakes when they're 24 25 and they understand how the church is supposed to run um it's it's kind of unmatched awesome all right the next principle is sometimes you need to be get be a catalyst for change and push programs and initiatives from the ground up i like this where's this headed eli um so in, in that month of time that I had from when I got called as an Elder Scorn president to when we actually got sustained and set apart, um, I did a lot of research on how missionary work and temple and family history work is supposed to work on the ward level. And uh, kind of when they dissolved high priest groups and they made um, organizational changes in the ward, it put a lot more stress on Relief Society and Elder Scorn presidencies to really shoulder the work of missionary work and temple family history work in the Lord. Um, I said my dad's in the stake presidency as a stake. They had done a lot of time trying to understand how the church wants that whole system to run and work together. Mm -hmm. They tried to implement that as a stake. Um, unfortunately, it was quite a bit different from what my ward was doing at the time, and it, just in terms of how missionary work and temple and family history work was organized. And so, for example, we had like a, um, we had like a counselor who was in the bishopric and he was kind of the one who was in charge of temple family history work. There might've been like a temple and family history leader that was called, but they were pretty, um, just uninvolved. And then we had like a ward mission leader who was in charge of all missionary work, but like up to that point, the elders quorums and relief societies weren't really doing anything. And so that process is still ongoing of helping the ward to understand fully how it's all supposed to function. Um, again, because I don't want to be like uptight about the handbook, I recognize that it just takes time to fix. And so what we're working on now is developing um, as a ward council, um, a plan for missionary work and a plan for temple and family history work. And then using ward mission leaders and ward temple and family history leaders to implement that. And then allowing, because again, there's two elders quorum presidencies and two relief society presidencies, allowing the appropriate counselor from each presidency to oversee whatever work they're delegated to work with. And then it kind of works up the food chain through relief society and elders quorum presidents. And then we bring that all back to the ward council. And so we're working to establish <laughs> that ecosystem, but it's still, it's still an ongoing process. Yeah. 
And so that took sort of a proactive measure of you of just saying, you know, I'm going to dive in, I'm going to understand these dynamics, what's needed, what's required, and let's get it moving, people, right? Like, yeah, no, exactly. It was really just, um, while I was reading in the handbook, and I, I think we can do this differently, great news for accounts, so we can sit down and yeah. establish a missionary work plan. And you kind of get some funny looks in the beginning, but I think in the end, people really appreciate doing things by the book. Like I'll sound like such a stickler for saying that, but it's true. Like if we just want to be in line with the most current up-to-date revelation, which is really exciting because the gathering of Israel is ongoing, actively being led by revelation, then we simply just kind of have to stick to the handbook because like I said before, it's constantly changing. Yeah. And then uh, obviously that requires you to motivate some people. And uh, the next principle you have here is the only proper motives in church leadership are the two great commandments. Yeah. Break that down. Um, so this again goes back to something that my dad taught me. Um, my dad has basically been in church leadership my whole life. When I think of um, leadership principles that I've been able to really keep with me over the years, they mostly come from him and just being able to watch his example. When I was in high school, um, he came up to me and he said, how would you respond if in the next life we get to the judgment and God says, it doesn't matter what choices you made, everybody's in. doesn't matter who you were, what you did, everybody can dwell with me in my kingdom. And my immediate reaction was like, what the heck? <laughs> That's not fair. <laughs> yeah. What about me? I, I did all that work in my mortal life. Like, why can these people just get in scot-free? And he just kind of said, well, how do you think the Savior would respond? I think the savior would probably be happier than anyone. Like this man who loves everyone perfectly and atone for all their sins. The thing that he wants most dearly is for all of God's children to be able to return back to him. Like, wow, that's amazing. And certainly I'm not suggesting that that will be our experience on judgment day. But the principle behind that is really important. I think like sometimes we're so easily inclined to think, what about me? When in reality, the savior just cares about the love that he has for God and the love that he has for everyone else. And so going back to the whole holier than thou thing, which can be really hard to fight in any word, but I think especially in YSA, if my efforts um, as an elders quorum president aren't motivated by love, it's really hard for me to have any impact on my core members. Um, just again, like if I come off as insincere and genuine, it, it just kind of does more harm than good. And so there's a lot of different ways that you can show that love. I think expressing it does a lot. Um, also just uh, finding that right balance between being a leader and being a peer. Um, I also really try to take advantage of one-on-one -on -one opportunities that I have with core members. Um, we know that Jesus Christ ministered to the one. He was really, really good at that. Um, I'm a big fan of the chosen. I don't think it's totally um, historically or doctrinally accurate all the time. But there are still some really great principles that we can pull few out of it. Few things are. <laughs> yeah, no, few things are. Um, and one of my favorite things to look at is how they portray Jesus ministering to the one and just how he makes people feel in these one-on-one -on -one situations that he has. And that's kind of the same attitude that I have if I'm in, you know, a PPI or if I'm extending a calling or just even like being able to talk to somebody on campus. A few months ago, I had the opportunity to go to lunch with one of my core members and just any one-on-one -on -one opportunity that I have, 
my biggest concern is will this people know or will this person know how much I love them when we're done? And so I think just really prioritizing that above everything else, whatever, you know, initiative you're trying to push, whatever calling you want them to accept, whatever work you're trying to get done um, in your quorum or whatever it is, if first you focus on does this person know how much I love them, your efforts will be way better received than if you overlook that part. Yeah. Wow. I love that. And there's so much there that, uh, yeah. and uh, you've had some great mentorship in your life and, and prepared you for this. And, and you're only just beginning. I mean, you're open, you're heading into a whole new world with this, this yeah. marriage coming up, right? No, that's true. <laughs> All right. Uh, then lastly, that in you said church leadership is 45% administration and 55% ministering. That's very specific percentages, Eli. Did you do some deep research there? What, where'd that come from? No, no, that's <laughs> Eli doctrine. Um, so yeah, it's just, you know, it doesn't matter how many spreadsheets you make. If you don't actually get into like the lives of your members, the people that you lead, you really don't have a big impact. Yeah. And so I got to a point pretty early on in our presidency where we had extended all these callings and we had all these spreadsheets made and organizationally, like on paper, it looked like we were doing so good. Dialed in. Um, right? Yeah, we were so dialed. <laughs> but then I think about like, my own personal relationship with each core member or just things that I had seen in the lives of core members that had really had an impact. And I felt like we'd fall short in that category. Um, and so we've just kind of worked to make a switch to really focus on more than anything, loving our core members, but recognizing the whole point of these spreadsheets and agendas, the organizational side of things, the administrative side is to have an impact on the ministering side. And so it's really just kind of putting more emphasis on um, loving and caring for the people that we serve and less emphasis on, again, whatever principle from the handbook we want implemented or whatever agenda item we have that, that will never, ever be as important as the lives and the well-being of each individual member. Yeah. Now, I love that so much that... Um... Cause there's those moments where you're just like, man, I'm just not getting traction or yeah. nothing seems to be working. And we had that great idea. We spent all that time. And if there's ever the moment of like, what can I do better? Like it's most likely ministry, right? Like just, just default there and, and minister a little bit more and you'll feel that energy come back into it that yeah. maybe you do need to spend that half hour on the spreadsheet or, or, or organizing that lesson or activity. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Well, Eli, this has been awesome, very informative, and uh, I just love hearing of, of your experience, especially at a more unique uh, leadership yeah. role at a BYU YSA ward, and uh, really good stuff. So, uh, when's is there a date set for the wedding? We're getting married on May fifth. May fifth. Is up in Washington, or where's it going to happen? No, it's going to happen down here. So, I'm from Seattle. She's from San Clemente, California. Um, we met here at our apart, uh, apartment complex. Um, and then we've so been- So she, she cornered the elders corn president. She got the grand prize. So well, <laughs> actually when we met, I hadn't been called as an elders corn president. Oh, all right. I was just- Good, uh, so she loves you for you. All right, this is good, Eli. It has nothing to do with the calling. <laughs> um, no, and so we're getting married in the Provo Temple, just the old Provo Temple that will- Old school, yes. Down. Yeah. Nice. I hear they spoil weddings there a little bit just because most people default to Provo City Center or that's what we've heard or Timpanogos or whatnot. So it's, that's cool. It's actually kind of cool because um, we'll be living um, right next to the Provo Temple, um, like literally just across the street. And then 
um, she grew up going to that temple kind of when she was in high school. I was not a fan of the Provo Temple until um, just recently, because when I was in the MTC, the only time I had been to the Provo Temple was when I was in the MTC. And I went once. Uh-huh. It was, they were cleaning it or something while I was there. And um, I don't know if you went to the temple when you were in the MTC. Yeah. It's sure. just kind of like this stressful experience on like your P-Day. And you're with a lot of young missionaries that may not totally know how to act in the temple. And it was, yeah, we were just like really rushed and there was only standing room and the slusher room. It was just like, I was in the temple, which is always a great experience, but I just kind of had like a bad taste in my mouth with the Provo temple. Uh I will say the one good thing that came out of that day is it's the only time that I ever received really clear, direct revelation about my wife. And it just happened to come in the Provo temple. And so it will really come full circle, I think for us. Luckily, we're able to spend a lot of time in the temple now. Now it's one of my favorite temples, (laughs) but especially when we get sealed, it will just kind of come full circle. Love it. Good shout out for the Provo Temple. That's what we need. Uh, Well, Eli, the the last question I have for you as you reflect on your time as a leader, both, you know, this current role and maybe others, how has being a leader helped you become a better follower of Jesus Christ? Oh, that's a great question. Really, I think every disciple of Jesus Christ is meant to be a leader. Like there's that scripture that I can never remember the reference to, um, but with the noble and great ones, the leaders before the world was created. And really that applies to every single member of the church, of the house of Israel. Um, I had a companion on my mission who I really loved and he had had a great, um, really defining experience as a missionary. He'd been able to serve in leadership. And he said, the number one thing that I want to remember when I go home is that I'm a leader. I can influence the people around me. I can motivate them to do better. I can help them to become better disciples of Jesus Christ. And so I think discipleship and leadership are very closely related. And really, if we can be motivated by our love for God and our love for other people and every single thing that we do in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we'll find that we have an impact on ourselves. Truth, like definitely on ourselves. Um, But more importantly, we'll have an impact on the people around us. And that concludes this How I Lead interview. I hope you enjoyed it. And I would ask you, could you take a minute and drop this link in an email, on social media, in a text, wherever it makes the most sense, and share it with somebody who could relate to this this experience. And this is how we how we develop as leaders, just hearing what the other guy's doing, trying some things out, testing, adjusting for your area. And that's where great leadership's discovered, right? So we would love to have you uh, share this with uh, somebody in this calling or a related calling, and that would be great. And also, if you know somebody, any type of leader, who would be a fantastic guest on the How I Lead segment, uh, reach out to us. Go to leadingsaints.org contact. Maybe send this in individual an email, letting them know that you're going to be suggesting their name for this this interview. We'll reach out to them and uh, see if we can line them up. So again, go to leadingsaints.org slash contact, and there you can submit all the information and let us know. And maybe they will be on a future How I Lead segment on the Leading Saints podcast. And remember, go to leadingsaints.org slash 14 to gain access to Rob Farrell's four-hour presentation at no cost. Visit leadingsaints.org slash 14. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us
by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.